Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, April the 13th, 2022. It is currently 3.57 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, Wednesdays is always a busy time for me. It's always hectic. I'm usually trying to get in a number of live broadcasts before I have to go to church and do, well, another live broadcast. But I try to give you as much content as I possibly can on Wednesdays. I'm starting this a little late today, so that means I probably won't get as many things done. But hopefully you'll find all of the content today to be challenging, beneficial, a blessing, spiritually edifying, whatever adjective you want to use, that's positive. Hopefully something positive will come from all of the broadcasts today. Now, if you are interested tonight, 7 p.m., probably about 7.10 p.m. Central Time. We always start a little late. About 7.10 p.m., we will be going live. Of course, we'll be live on the Church One app, on the Sermons 2.0 app, and we'll be live on the Spreaker app. We'll be going live tonight with the Wednesday evening teaching, and we're going to be going back to Matthew chapter 24 for this week's Bible study exercise, and tonight's going to be a lot of church history. We're going to look at some different some different theologians uh, in church history who put forth different ideas about eschatology, and then we're really going to focus in on preterism, its history. We'll, we'll contrast that a little bit with dispensationalism, and we'll we'll try to we're just going to try to get a lot of a very important. We're going to try to lay a, a very important foundation of, of knowledge about different systems of eschatology as we continue our work on Matthew chapter 24. I think it'll be beneficial and hopefully it'll be uh, helpful tonight. So if you want to listen in live, if you want to listen in live, again, Spreaker, Church 2.0, or uh, the Church 1, if, if I can get them all right, the Church 1 app, Sermons 2.0 app, or the Spreaker app, all of them are clearly available to you if you would like to do that, and or uh, it'll be available as soon as we're done on all of the uh, podcast platforms. So if you want to listen to that, please do so, and hopefully it will be beneficial, all right? Sounds good? Okay, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a very important word right now. Are you ready? We're going we're gonna to turn our focus completely from all of that. All the announcements are over. Let's, let's get into this. I want you to consider the word comfort. The word comfort. Now let's start with a basic definition of the word comfort. Comfort, a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. If you're in a if you're experiencing comfort, you're experiencing a time of physical ease and a freedom from pain or constraint. In other words, it's it's a comfortable situation, right? You're just resting. You're just you're finding some comfort. There's you just have physical ease. You're just laying back, you're relaxing, it's comfortable. You're not experiencing any pain, and there's no constraint, right? No one is telling you you have to do something. You're just laying back. You're in a sense you're comfortable. Right? That, that, that's one kind of comfort. Here's, here's another definition. The easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. If someone is experiencing feelings of grief or distress and they experience comfort, it alleviates those feelings. So someone can have pain, grief, and comfort 
that's brought to them alleviates that. It lessens it. It it makes it easier to bear because you've experienced some kind of comfort. All right, so I, I want you to understand the word comfort. Now, I want you to think about this. The difference between divine comfort and human comfort. Divine comfort and human comfort. Now, divine comfort may be something that's kind of theoretical, right? Oh, I, I feel the comfort of God. Okay, when someone says that, I was, I was going through this great period of pain and grief, but I felt God comfort me. He, he alleviated that pain and that grief. It's still kind of theoretical because you're just kind of, is it just a feeling you received? You, you just, just what happened that made you feel that? Some people will try to talk about some, you know, very, significant experience that they had, but it's still somewhat kind of theoretical. It's hard to really define it. It's hard to, hard to really describe it. It's hard to really say this is exactly what happens, but there's the concept of divine comfort. Human comfort sometimes is something more tangible. This person showed up, they said these words, or they didn't say up say anything at all. They were just there, or they brought me this, or they took care of this. Whatever the case, sometimes you can point to very tangible actions. So divine comfort can be somewhat theoretical, where human comfort can be something much more tangible. I, I think I think we would all have to acknowledge that to some degree. Now, the reason I'm bringing these up between and trying to draw a distinction between divine comfort and human comfort is because. Well, once again, we're turning our attention to the book, The Imitation of Christ, written over 500 years ago by Thomas Akempis. We've been working on this book now for many years, and the the and I hope the book, I mean, I'm not going to say anything else about the book. We, we've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, but uh, if you've never been a part of the study, you may want to find the series on the Church One app and just go back and start listening to all of it. I think the book the book has been very influential in all different streams of, of theology, all different walks of life from uh, people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Again, the name of the book is The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. We are in book two, because the book is broken down into four different books. We are in book two, chapter nine, and the title is Want of All Comfort. So book two, chapter nine, is going to speak about comfort, and it's going to be really, you're going to see really quick in this chapter that he's going to draw somewhat of a distinction between divine comfort and human comfort. And I think that theoretically we can say, yes, there's a divine comfort is the best kind of comfort and human comfort cannot compare and it's insignificant. I I know that that sounds great theoretically, but when you just bring it down into everyone's practical life, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's see how Thomas Akempis handles this subject. Are you ready? Here we go. Chapter nine, want of all comfort. He begins with this paragraph. It is no hard matter to despise human comfort when we have divine. Now, I said I was going to do the whole paragraph. I should have just said, here's the first sentence, all right? Because that's the way the the book, The Imitation of Christ, really works. Every sentence, you just have to kind of stop and go, okay, let's meditate on that. Let's discuss that. Let's take that apart. So let's consider this, uh, this idea that he's putting forth, that if you have divine comfort, then it's easy to despise 
human comfort. Once you get the divine comfort, you don't even need human comfort. You can despise it. It feels completely inadequate and insufficient compared to the divine comfort. He's drawing a contrast here. All right, I, I'm not going to ask any more questions. But there's a number that comes to my mind at this point. We'll see if he answers any of them. So let's continue. This is, again, chapter 9, book 2 of The Imitation of Christ. It is no hard matter to despise human comfort when we have divine. It is a great thing, yea, very great, to be able to want both human and divine comfort and for God's honor to be willingly cheerful, to be, let me read this again. Let me read this again. Um, It is a great thing, yea, very great, to be able to want both human and divine comfort and for God's honor to be willing cheerfully to endure the heart's banishment and to seek oneself in nothing nor to regard one's own merit. All right, that's a little wordy there at the end. So let's go through this. All right, first of all, that's the whole paragraph. And 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 I and I want to I want to go ahead and write down to the, I want to go right to the second one but let's just try to take this apart because it's a little wordy there I wish I would have had my other translations here but I don't have my other translations in front of me I forgot to bring them with me I think I have one downstairs I have I have a number of translations of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis I almost feel like we need another translation here to kind of clean this up a little bit but let's let's work through this so it's no hard matter to despise human comfort when we have divine. All right, so clearly he draws a, a distinction. Here is divine and here is human comfort. But let me just throw an idea out here. I said I was going to stop asking questions, but I'm, I'm going to kind of pose this as a question because this is how my brain, where my brain went as soon as I read this. All right, if we draw a distinction between divine and human comfort, is it possible that God could provide, in a sense, divine comfort through the means of human comfort. Like, should we make these two things separate, right? Like, okay, here's divine comfort. Okay, there's there's the humans over there trying to offer me comfort. It can't compare to the divine comfort. But what if the divine comfort comes to us via the means of human comfort, that God is actually bringing, bringing comfort to you via other people? Like, should we so separate these or should we see that somehow maybe these work together? Is, is that is that possible? All right, so he goes on to say that. Then he says, it's a great thing, yea, a very great to be able to want both human and divine comfort. Now, he seems to say, when he's saying it's a, it's a great thing to be able to, bo- to want both human and divine comfort, I wonder... Is he saying that like, hey, I don't, is he saying that it, that's, a, that's a, a large thing to want? Is he saying that it's a great thing and a, as a good thing? Or is he saying that you're wanting something like beyond what you should want? Like, should you desire both divine and human comfort? It's really interesting the way he writes it. He just says, yeah, uh, it is a great thing, yay, very great to be able to want both human and divine comfort. So I don't know if he's saying that, is Thomas Akempis implying that it's a, it's like, I can't believe you would ask for, you would want both of those. Or is he saying that it's, it's great to want both of those? I, 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 
To me, I think most people would want both, right? As a Christian, when you are grieving or feeling pain or discouragement or depression and you're longing for comfort, don't you want, in a sense, both divine and human? So why would he be like, you know, like it it can't be like this is some, it's rare for someone to want both. I don't know. Is it rare for someone to want both or is it natural for someone to want both? Now, of course, clearly this is written to someone, to professing believers. I, I think it's natural to want both. I would think, is it? I, I, I don't know. And then he goes on. And for God's honor to be willingly, cheerfully, and that's literally the way it's written, to be willing, cheerfully, to endure the heart's banishment and to seek and to seek oneself in nothing, nor to regard one's own merit. So so for God's honor. To be willing cheerfully to endure the heart's banishment and to seek oneself in nothing nor to regard one's own merit. I don't know exactly where he's going with that as as it relates to comfort. Is he saying that for God's honor, you should be cheerful, endure whatever pain you're, you're, you're feeling and do not seek oneself in nothing nor regard one's own merit. In other words, don't look to self. That it's that what you should be willing to do for God's honor is that when you're suffering, you don't look in a sense for any form of human comfort. Is, is that where he's kind of going? You don't look to yourself. You don't look to anything else. You don't look to your merit. You don't look to anything else. Yeah, that that's written very oddly. Let, let's go to the second paragraph and see if it clears this up. What does it matter if at the coming of grace? You are cheerful and devout. This hour is wished for by all men. Sweetly enough, he rides whom the grace of God carries. And what marvel if he fill not his burden, who is borne up by the Almighty and led by the sovereign guide. Now, now typically, when you read Thomas Akempis, the paragraphs really are pretty straightforward. They seem rather profound. They seem, in many cases, very convicting. This is probably, I think, chapter nine of book two is the first time we encounter these paragraphs what you're, where you really are kind of left with, what? Huh? What are you talking about? Or at least from my perspective, you do so. Maybe other translations of this book would, would, would add clarity here, but I'm a little perplexed there. So let's read this again. What does it matter if at the coming of grace, you are cheerful and devout? Um, what, what is he trying to say there? What does it matter that when, when the, the coming of grace, that you're found to be cheerful and devout? Does it really matter that you're cheerful and devout when grace shows up? Like, I, like what, what, what is it? Is, is this, is this, is he saying that, uh, that if you seek comfort in yourself or if you seek comfort from some other source, what good is that? 
when grace shows up. Hey, I found some comfort and I'm cheerful and I'm devout because this alleviated my grief and pain, but then grace shows up. What difference if you're, if you, if you're experiencing that, if it did not come from God's grace, is that, is that the direction he's going with this? Then he goes on to say, this hour is wished for by all men, right? All men wishes for grace. Sweetly enough, he rides whom the grace of God carries. And what marvel if he feel not his burden, who is borne up by the Almighty and led by the sovereign guide? All right, let's go to the next line here. We are always willing to have something for our comfort, and a man strips himself of self with difficulty. All right. I think it's true that we're always willing to have something for our comfort. I think, I think we're willing, I think whenever we're feeling grief and pain, we will look to anything for comfort. We will look to ourselves. we will look to others, we will look for, in many cases, we'll look to compromise, we'll look to, to, to sin, to lying, to wrong, to, to, to anything for comfort. I think that there, there, is, there is some truth there. I think that's rather profound, that, we're, that we are always willing to have something for our comfort. And a man strips himself of self with difficulty. Oh, what does he mean? A man strips himself of self with difficulty. I, I, I don't know exactly where he's going here. Let, let's le- read the next. Let's see if at some point Thomas Akempis is going to, to clarify this. Now, the reason I'm hesitant to read the next line is because if you've if you've been with us now for what two years working through the imitation of Christ, you know that Thomas Akempis writes many cases, it, it, almost like a stream of consciousness. He'll just write a couple of lines, and it, it just feels like he just jumps to something else. Sometimes it kind of fits together, but in many cases, it just seems like oh, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea, and so I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to read the next line, and we're going to be like, wait, Thomas, where are you going? Where are you going? We're still trying to figure out some of these other things, and I'm still trying to figure out some of these other things, but I think we're kind of left with having to move forward. So let's see where he goes. Learn to leave even a near and dear friend for the love of God. So we need to learn to leave even a near and dear friend for the love of God. This this really seems like he's contrasting that, hey, once you get divine, you should seek divine comfort. Forget finding it anywhere else. Forget anything else. And if need be, leave even your closest, dearest friend for the love of God. He, he's drawing this. It's almost like he's trying to draw an, an, a massive contrast between divine and human comfort. And I'm not convinced of that. Now, we, we do have to remember Thomas Akempis is writing from a monastery over 500 years ago. It's going to clearly impact his perspective a little bit. Like comfort, in a sense, you're, you're in a, I mean, I know you have your other monks, but you spend a lot of time alone. So do you look for your comfort in that situation sp- simply from a divine source and real, and because you don't have access to any other source. So in his mind, don't look ever forward comfort from any other source. All right. 
um, they go on to say, do not take it hard when you are deserted by a friend as knowing that we all at last must be separated from another. There's almost a, uh, almost a cynicism here. There's almost a, uh, a very negative view. Like, hey, forget everyone, forget people. Forget people. And hey, don't be so upset if someone deserts you. I mean, we're all going to, everyone's going to die anyway. Everyone's going to leave you in the end. So, so don't, don't worry. You don't need people. It's almost like in a roundabout way. It, it feels like I'm reading like a journal from like, you know, a 17 year old who's just like, I don't need anyone. I don't need people. I now in this particular case, I'm not saying he's, he's just has that teenage angst, but he has this like almost Hey, but just we just need God. Is that is that is that the right way to approach this subject? Let's see if he cleans this up at all, all right? A man must strive a man must strive much and long within himself before he can lean or learn fully to master himself and to draw his whole affection unto God. This may be the sentence that clear, clarifies everything that comes before. So stay with me here. I know we're walking through this. I'm walking through this, trying to take you through the, the ride, trying to take you through the, well, wait a minute, what is he trying to say? And I think this is where it all comes into play. So let me read this again. A man must strive much, and long within himself before he can learn fully to master himself and to draw his whole affection unto God. So Thomas Akempis is arguing for a perspective where you're like, okay, I'm going to strive. You're constantly fighting within yourself. You're constantly fighting within yourself so you so master yourself that you draw your affection only from God. In other words, you so fight yourself that you don't long for other people. You don't even long for the affection that you can give yourself, that you've so mastered yourself that you draw your affection directly from the throne of grace. Now, if, if that is the key interpretive sentence in this chapter, now let's go back and see if this makes sense. It is no hard matter to despise human comfort when we have divine, all right, that sets it all up, right? Hey, once you get the divine, then you can despise human comfort. It's not hard to do at all. You will despise human comfort once you get the divine. It is a great thing, yeah, a very great thing to be able to want both human and divine comfort. In other words, it's, it's a big deal because we typically want both. However, for God's honor, to be willing and cheerful, to endure the heart's banishment, and to seek oneself in nothing, nor to regard one's own merit. In other words, here's, here's what you do for God's honor. You endure banishment, you endure pain, but you don't look to anything else. You've so mastered yourself that the only source of comfort for you is the divine, because you don't need any. You no longer are looking for comfort from both man and God. You're only looking at it from God because you've so mastered yourself. You now can endure this banishment without looking to anything else. 
right? The next paragraph. What does it matter if at the coming of grace, you're cheerful and devout? What does it matter? What does it benefit you if you found comfort from a different source? When God's grace shows up, what, what is this other comfort? It's, it's irrelevant. It's inadequate. It's insufficient. The hour is wished for by all men. Sweetly enough, he rides whom the grace of God carries. And what, and what marvel if he fill not his burden who is borne up the, by the Almighty and led by the save, sovereign guide. In other words, none of this other thing matters if, you're, if you uh, are borne up by the Almighty and led by the sovereign guide. If, you're, if your comfort is directly from God, nothing else matters. Then we are always willing to have something for our comfort. Yeah, that, that's our problem. We're always trying to find something to comfort us. And a man strips himself of self with difficulty. In other words, it requires great difficulty for you to strip yourself of self. It is, it is a battle to strip yourself of self, to get rid of self. So you mastered self, so now all you want is comfort from God. Learn, learn to leave even a, a dear friend for the love of God. Do not take it hard when you're departed, uh, deserted by a friend. Don't, don't worry about people. Don't worry about friends. Because a man must strive much and long within himself before he can fully, because, before he can learn fully to master himself and to draw his whole affection unto God. When a man stands on himself, he easily slides into human comforts. See, th th this is really explaining everything. When you when you are looking to yourself, when you are holding on to yourself, when you're in a sense standing on yourself, then you you'll slide into wanting human comfort. You'll slide into settling for human comfort. In other words, you're going to settle for the inferior and the inadequate comfort. He goes on to say, but a true lover of Christ. And a diligent follower of virtues does not fall back on comforts or seek such sensible sweetness, but rather seeks hard exercises and to bear severe labors for Christ. All right, I'm going to stop right here because that takes a lot just to work through. There's a lot there. It appears that what Thomas Akempis is calling for again, over 500 years, writing from a monastery, that all that matters is that you strive and you fight within yourself so that you can learn fully to master yourself and you draw all, of, all of, um, as he says, all, uh, you, you, uh, and you draw your whole affection unto God, that you master yourself, that you draw all of your affection unto God. You're drawing all, I, I'm going to go on and, and say your comfort from God. So he's drawing a massive distinction between divine and human comfort. So what do we do with this? I'm, I'm trying to ponder. I'm trying, I'm trying to really process everything he's saying here, right? And if I misread it the first time, make sure you understand. Uh, and draw his whole affection unto God. I may have said of draw uh, his whole comfort from God, but his whole affection uh, unto God, right? 
So in other words, you must master yourself so that your your affection and everything is is to God. And that's what you're, I think that's what you're looking to your comfort from, which he's going to continue to kind of, to, to uh, he's going to, cont- to continue to try to explain. I kind of just went ahead and tried to explain it for you because I want us to at least understand where he's, where he's coming from here. So let, let's think this through. Thomas Acampus's philosophy almost sets at odds divine comfort and human comfort. Divine comfort seems to be spoken of as being the desired comfort, the better comfort. And human comfort seems to be the comfort that we should not desire. It is inadequate. It's not sufficient. And we should not slide back into wanting it. We should so master ourselves that it's all about God. We, we, our affections go to God, and, and God is from which we seek that comfort from, a divine comfort. In fact, remember that last part where he says, um, but a true lover of Christ, uh, our, our, when a man stands on himself, he easily slides into human comfort, but a true lover of Christ and a diligent follower of virtues does not fall back on comforts or seek such sensible sweetness, but rather seeks hard exercises and to bear severe labors for Christ. That one who really loves God and loves Christ won't fall back onto human comfort, doesn't want human comfort. Oh, well, it would rather endure pain and grief than... Uh, for Christ than to accept human comfort to lessen that pain and that grief. He almost makes it sound like accepting, desiring, wanting human comfort is actually a Well, I won't say he'll go say with a a sin. Um, Okay, this uh, someone just uh, put this uh, in the chat. When a man resteth upon himself, uh, okay. (laughs) When a man resteth upon himself, he easily slippeth away unto human unto human comforts. But a true lover of Christ and a diligent seeker after virtue falleth not back upon those comforts nor seeketh such sweetness as may be tasted and handled, but desires rather hard exercises and undertakes severe labors for Christ. All right. So no, no. Um, Thomas Akempis was living in a monastery, living in a monastery. So that's why I'm trying, I'm trying to process his thinking here. But I think clearly from someone just posted from a different version of the book, clearly that's the direction he's going here is, look, human comfort it's, it's not worth any, it's, 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 it's not what, it's almost, I won't say that he goes this far, but he co- it's seeming like he's going pretty close, that to, to seek human comfort almost calls into question one's spirituality and one's love for God. He, he seems to be coming really close to going that direction. He, he seems to be going, ah, I don't want to put words in his mouth, you know. I mean, he lived over 500 years ago. Obviously, he can't speak for himself. So I, I want to be fair to him. But, uh, yeah, it, mm. Okay, there, oh, there's a bunch of qu- quotes here, okay, um, that wasn't showing up on my computer. Okay, uh, let's see here. 
uh, someone, uh, so I'm going to read some of the quotes that they shared from their version, all right? I wasn't showing up in the chat on the uh, computer. It is a great thing, yea, a very great thing to be able to bear the loss both of human and divine comfort and for the love of God willingly to bear exile of heart and in enough and, and not to seek oneself nor to look to one's own merit. We are willing to accept anything for comfort and it is difficult for a man to be freed from himself. The holy martyr Lawrence overcame the love of the world and even of his priestly master because he despised everything in the world which seemed to be pleasant. And for the love of Christ, he calmly suffered even God's chief priest, Sixtus, whom he dearly loved to be taken from him. That's interesting. That's completely different from the version that I have. All right. Um, And it says, thus, by the love of a creator, he overcame the love of man. And instead of human comfort, he chose rather God's good pleasure. So also learn thou to resign any near and beloved friend for the love of God, nor take it amiss when thou hast been deserted by a friend, knowing that we all must be parted from one another at last. Mightily and long must a man strive within himself before he learned uh, altogether to overcome oneself and to draw his whole affection towards God. All right, that reads uh, somewhat the same. Man, that, that, yeah, that, that, it's just interesting how different the translations can be. That one added a whole, added an historical example. Hey, here's a person who, who's willing to suffer. He suffered rather than turn to human comfort. Hey, it's better to suffer than to turn to human comfort. It's better to get divine comfort. In fact, it seems like he's saying it's better to have no comfort, right, than to accept human comfort. You should, you should just suffer and wait for the divine comfort to arrive. So, so I'm, you know what I always try to do? You know what I always try to do? Even when I initially, initially I'm like, come on, Thomas Akimpis, what are you trying to say here? My initial desire here is to simply disagree. But you know what I always try to, I try to, I try to agree with what I disagree with first and then take it to its logical progression, to its logical conclusion and try to just walk through it logically. But let's, I think this is time to at least ask an important question. I think we can all be honest here. I think we would have to at least, even though I may not agree with what Thomas Akempis' conclusion, I think this would be a perfect time for us to at least ask ourselves, what is the danger of human, what is the spiritual danger of human comfort? There, I think there is inherent spiritual danger in human comfort. When you, you're, you're in pain or grief or you're, or, you're, or, or you're not receiving something that you need that makes you content or happy or whatever the case may be, we sometimes then turn to some human source to provide what we're lacking or longing for or needing or wanting. And, and we almost use it as an excuse. Well, I needed to find comfort in something and this wasn't being provided. So you look for it through a, a, a human source in many cases, which leads to sin. All right. 
eat your thistle, sleep on a rock and be thankful. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if he's going, well, actually, you know, being a, a, a monk in a monastery, he may have gone with eat your thistle, sleep on a rock and be thankful. He may, he may have gone, he may have even gone that far with that. Um, I, I think here's what we can do. We always remember this. Sometimes there will be a truth that may pr- be presented in an extreme way. And so our natural reaction may be to reject the truth because of the extreme level someone takes it. But sometimes what we have to do is is don't pay attention to the extreme level they may take it and take a step back and try to find the truth and and then then try to apply the truth in a less extreme manner. Of course, he again, he's applying this living in a monastery so he's going to have a completely different mindset. But for, for the rest of us, I think there is some truth to this. There is danger whenever, whenever, whenever you're feeling pain, need, loss, loneliness, depression, discouragement, frustration, whatever you're feeling something negative, there is great danger. There's great danger to go, oh, 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 uh, I'm going to look to human comfort because in many cases, human comfort brings with it some form of compromise, some some form of sin, right? Peter was confused and upset. Jesus had been arrested. He was following Jesus. And if he would have said, yeah, I know Jesus, he would have experienced pain. So in a sense, he took, he looked for human comfort in the sense by saying, I, I don't know this guy. I don't, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just one of you guys. I'm just like one, I'm just like the rest of you which ultimately led to, it led to, it led to physical comfort in the sense that he was not going to suffer death, but he experienced spiritual guilt and pain. I'm not saying that's the best illustration. I'm just saying that sometimes the promise of comfort, a human comfort, will lead to spiritual guilt and conviction, Everyone can be in a situation where, man, you know, I'm upset about this, and that's that's not fair. They did this to me. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was just, I was. This is not a great example, but I'll, I will exp, uh, explain it. I was watching the documentary "Jesus Music" on Hulu. Okay, it's a documentary about the history of contemporary Christian music, its origin. Uh, you know, from the '60s, uh, the Jesus People movement. Uh, Calvary Chapel, go, going through all of it. And I've, I've researched the origins of CCM and, and researched the, the, the whole world for a long time. We can get a whole discussion about music, but we won't go into this. All right. So, but they were talking about how a young, a young, we'll call it a young man was sitting in his living room on watching television and Jimmy Swaggart came on, famous televangelist who got caught up in some major sin. But at this point he hadn't been caught up in major sin and this young boy saw Jimmy Swaggart on television and called his family in, and they're watching Jimmy Swaggart on their television set. They all called upon Christ to save them. They all believed on Christ, the whole family. Well, the boy, the brothers, I think they were brothers, the part of, the, at least that young man, I can't remember, I think his brother may have been, I'd have to look, yeah, I think there were brothers in the band. Okay, but two, uh, uh, that, that young man, we'll just, because I'll just focus on him, that young man went on to form the Christian rock band Striper. He became saved by watching Jimmy Swaggart, and they become this 
pop culture phenomenon. I mean, Striper is this Christian rock band that just, it's hard, unless you lived back at that time, it's hard for you to understand the significance of the band. They were number one on MTV. They were, they were, they were all over mainstream. They were beating mainstream, mainstream rock bands in sales and popularity. It was absolutely insane. But while they were growing in popularity, in a sense, within the world, the church was like, Striper is of the devil, Striper is of the devil, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, they're evil, they're evil, they're ungodly, they're ungodly, they're ungodly. Well, they, they had kind of ignored a lot of the criticism until one day, that young man now who's in Striper turns on Jimmy Swaggart to watch him because, well, that's the man who, you know, preached and he got saved. And Jimmy Swaggart starts talking about these demonic, evil rock musicians. And he holds up the Striper album. This young man, that's like, that's his hero. And his hero's just now telling him that, you know, you're, you're of the devil. You're of Satan because you do rock music. And he talked about how he began to weep and he was hurt and he was broken. Now he feels pain. He feels pain. He feels rejected by, well, the church. He feels rejected by Christianity. He's out there trying to preach Christianity, whether you could, we could get into a whole discussion of how good a job they were doing or not doing. That's a whole different discussion. But he felt rejected. He felt pain. And he got mad. And he got bitter. And instead of turning to God, he looked for, in a sense, human comfort. Got rebellious. Started drinking start engaging in other wrong activity, and end up messing up his life somewhat, messing up their ministry somewhat. In fact, really hurting themselves big time because they were mad, they were upset. So he felt he needed comfort, but instead of turning to God, he, in fact, he was mad at God in a sense. He blamed God for it. He was upset with Christianity. So he looked for comfort, but where did he look for comfort? Not from God. He looked for, well, for, in a bottle, alcohol, or whatever things he turned to. Now, that's just a, an illustration that sometimes when when we are hurt or we're let down, we, we get mad. And so we just look for comfort in something else. I think human comfort has potential negative spiritual consequences. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot ever look. See, Thomas Akempis seems to take it so far that, hey, you just don't even look to human comfort. You don't even, you don't even want it. You, in fact, you should just, as his exact words at the beginning, you should, it should be easy for you to despise human comfort once you've had the divine kind. Well, that sounds good, but I still think God can use human comfort to bring us comfort. I don't think it always has to be in some supernatural way. I just think sometimes when we're, when we're lacking something or longing for something, we, we start looking for comfort. And I think a lot of the comfort out there is, is a substitute. And sometimes it's not a good one. Sometimes it's a bad thing. And then we find ourselves doing what we said we would never do, going where we would never say we would go, finding ourselves and doing horrible things, creating a bad situation. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but human comfort could be a grave spiritual danger in some situations. I'm just going to stop there. I don't know what else to say. All right. Yeah. And I agree. Someone just said, I think it's very hard to feel divine comfort. Again, divine comfort is such a theory. As I started off, it's theoretical, right? 
What, what is it? What, what does that feel? What does it look like? Right? You, whatever you're, whatever you're lacking, whatever you're missing, whatever you're needing, right? You're like, okay, I, I need this. I want this, whatever it is. I need, I need comfort. Well, divine comfort is like, okay, how do I, how do I feel this? What, what is it going to feel like? How, how, where human comfort is tangible. It may be something you can touch, something you can drink, something you can feel, someone you can be with, whatever the case may be, it's more tangible, But I think because it's more tangible, we can be more drawn to it. This is an interesting concept. I've never given this much thought. Hey, hey, physical uh, human comfort can be dangerous. I don't think I've ever like put that on my list of spiritual things to be on the lookout for. Oh, yeah, and definitely. All right, all right someone just pointed out our flesh desires human comfort more than divine. That is absolute 1,000% guaranteed. That when, whenever we're needing something, we, we almost always will de- desire, but just by nature, human comfort is going to be the most attractive because it's the most, it's the most immediate. Like, it's the most immediate divine comfort. We don't know when it's going to show up. Right? We don't know. Human comfort, promise, it, it's, it's physical, it, it's immediate, it, and our, our flesh longs for it in many cases far more than a divine comfort. So I think it's something that we have to think about in our spiritual life. Now, the way it's written is really weird, you know, and I'll, I, you know, I apologize for, for in some ways, I, 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 maybe I shouldn't have read through it the way I did, but in some ways I wanted you to just feel like this kind of this weird, like, where, where is he going? Um, yeah, and I, I agree. In some cases, a divine comfort may not even show up till death, I think. I mean, I guess you could argue there could be some form of, of divine comfort that may show up before death, but not the complete eradication of the pain and the grief. So, but yeah, reading through this, it was it's very wordy, but I, I kind of wanted to take you through it because he he's I think he he's trying to he's trying to create this like picture, and he really just when he comes in. At this last part, a man must strive much and long within himself before he can learn fully to master himself and to draw his whole affection unto God. That's really the key. You got to so master yourself that your affection goes directly to God, and that's all the comfort that you want. And I just, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like an ongoing thought that ne- uh, needed to be read. Okay, yeah, I think... I think I think he's building. I think I think working through that may, maybe I think well, probably what will happen when I look at the statistics. A lot of people will drop will have stopped listening. Like as soon as I start working through, eh, whatever. I don't care about this. But I think then they missed out on this. I think very important kind of concept, almost like like an epiphany. Wow, human comfort could be spiritually damaging. I have to look back. I'm going to have to look back over my Christian life and go, you know, right there, I was looking for human comfort, not divine comfort. Right there, right there. Well, and thank you, Twyla, for not stopping to listen. But, I, I, but I'm just saying the statistics will show me how many people dropped out. Um, but I, I'm going to try to look back over my Christian life and see if I can determine clear times where I turned to human comfort versus divine comfort. I think that's a, a very interesting thought. And we may be able to flesh it out more in future studies. Yes. Now, 
Yeah, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. I do agree that there's times that, and and that's why I, I believe there are times God can use human comfort to comfort others. I think that's a biblical concept, right? So I think sometimes human comfort could actually be a vehicle of divine comfort. And Thomas Akempis seems to be completely ignoring that possibility, all right? So yes, I think there, think of it this way. Not all human comfort is bad. I, I think it would be wrong to say that. However, there is an inherent spiritual danger within human comfort. It's not all bad. And I think in many cases, God can use human comfort to bring about a divine comfort. But, but, with, but within human comfort, there is a inherent spiritual danger that we have to consider. So yeah, that is a good point. Thanks for bringing, bringing that up. I'll, I'll hopefully, I, I, I'm so trying to understand Thomas Akempis's point that I, I, I wasn't trying to completely, yeah, I try to completely take it all apart. But you're, you're absolutely, I, again, I think Thomas Akempis is, t- I, well, I, I even said it, he takes it to an extreme. Almost, here's divine, all human comfort is bad. But I think sometimes human comfort is a source of divine, that God works, brings us comfort through the agency through the means of human comfort, right? So, but at the same time, human comfort is dangerous. So I, to me, what's jumping out at me is, hey, you, you idiot, how many times did you look to human comfort when you should have been looking to divine comfort? Plenty of times where I messed up there, uh, probably you as well. No excuse, but the reality of it. But to go so far as Thomas Akempis, which basically is, hey, all human comfort is bad, I, I think is, is, uh, is maybe a step too far. But we'll see if he cleans it up anywhere in, in the rest of the chapter next time. All right, good discussion, everyone. Great discussion. Thanks, Twyla, for uh, grabbing your copy of the book. Sorry I didn't see those. Uh, I don't know why they didn't show up earlier in the chat. It shows that there's like 17 messages here, but nothing showed up until all of a sudden, like in the middle. It was really weird. But I, once I opened up the iPad and looked, it's, it's right there. So it's awesome, all right? And uh, the dark mode on the Spreaker app is looking really, 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 really nice, okay? Uh, if you're using the Spreaker app and you've got the dark mode, it looks really nice. I really like the way it looks. It, it, makes our, it makes our podcast look like really professional. So not that you care, but yeah, there you go. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Um, it's almost five o'clock. I don't know if I'll get anything else done. I'll probably start getting ready. And then if I have time to do one more thing, I may... If not, it'll be 7 o'clock or about 7.10 when we get started. And uh, just be ready to take some notes on, uh, well, eschatology and church history. Okay, so I think that's where we need to go. Yeah. Okay, someone else likes the dark mode as well. Yeah. Yep. Someone else says it looks good. Yeah, I know. It makes our, makes our podcast look like, whoa. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at like, wow, that, that looks pretty good. That looks, that looks pretty good. So. I wish I wish it looked good on every app, but you know, it, you you don't really can't control how it looks on every single app. But yeah, I'm glad it looks good. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. Good conversation. If you want to have more conversation about this, uh, for those in the Discord channel, feel free to add your uh, thoughts there. All right, everyone have a great day. God bless.